Dad, what would happen if you played catch every day for an entire year? That's the question that Ethan Bryan's daughters asked him, and he did it. He spent one full year, he played catch every single day, and now he's written a book about it, and I think it's just what we need. I'm Kay Helm, and this is the Life and Mission Podcast, Episode 51. Well, hey, Ethan, thank you so much for joining us today on the Life and Mission Podcast. All right. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing, doing very, very well. This is not your first time here. It's It's been a little while. Some some uh, some life has happened. Some uh, suns have set and risen and, and calendars have changed. Absolutely. Yeah. Last time Ethan was here, uh, it was on episode 13, and I would say definitely go back and hear that because... That was February of 2018, and you had this idea, and you were just getting started on it. So, what's happened in the last two years? <laughs> oh, what has happened in the last two years? So, the idea of February 2018 was to uh, was really inspired and encouraged by my daughters uh, was to play catch every day for a year, and I would have told you in February 2018. Uh, that it was fun, that I was having fun. I was enjoying meeting people and just kind of, I was really just getting my feet wet in, into what turned out to be just one of the literal best years of my life. Uh, but my body was sore and it was, <laughs> it was hard work at the time. Um, and I honestly in February did not know if I'd be able to complete the year. Mm-hmm. Well, Fast forward, I did. It was wonderful. And I have since written uh, a book about that experience, about that adventure. So just the simple idea of, Dad, let's play catch. Yeah. And it changed my life. (laughs) Wow. I think I I told you uh, earlier, playing catch with my dad is one of my favorite memories as a kid. It's, It's how I grew up. With, with my dad in, in the street and it's uh, or in the backyard or the church parking lot across the street or various backyards of friends and family around the country when we go on vacation. But it really, um, it formed, it, it's, it's how I best know to summarize what our relationship is, is that he would come home from work and I would greet him with gloves in my hand. And what sticks out to me more than anything is he never said no. You know, and, and now that now that I'm the age, I'm the age now that he was then when I was, you know, being annoying and being a pestering little kid saying, hey, dad, do this. Hey, dad, do this. Hey, dad, do this. At the end of the day, your body is sore and you're tired and you have to think about everything else that you have to do because you're an adult, whether it's dishes or what you're going to do for dinner or laundry and, and everything else. And he always said, well, OK we'll do this first. And he'd go in and sometimes he'd change clothes. But for, for 20, 30 minutes, I mean, for years, we'd, we'd play catch. Wow. And he probably really looked forward to it just as much as you did. Uh, actually, I really, I haven't asked him much about it. Um, <laughs> I, I really need to do that. Uh, he he, was, he, he um, became a baseball fan because of my passion for the game. Wow. And, and so uh, it would be a really interesting conversation. 
<laughs> well, that's cool. And you you got to play uh, catch with him also on your year of playing catch as well. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the highlights. You know, it was uh, for the first time in my life, but I got across off the bucket list of going to the Field of Dreams, the the, the movie site. And, mm-hmm. and he went with me. And um, that was just a, a banner day. We'll circle back to that day in a little bit, but just kind of in a <laughs> nutshell, can you just explain what we're talking about with all this playing catch and what, what you did? You have a book. I have it with me. Of course, people can't see because this is audio, but it's a year <laughs> of playing catch. But a simple daily experience taught me about life. And I'm, I'm reading it now and I love it. So the, the, the Cliff Notes version is for Christmas 2017, my daughter gave me a, a ball and just said, Dad, want to play catch on it? She's an artist and she gives, she gives gifts like this. And so on January 1st, once you've kind of survived the, the holidays, uh, it was one degree. And I saw the ball sitting on my writing desk and I just called out to her. And I said, Sophie, uh, you want to play catch? And, and she just looked at me and she said, outside? And I was like, sure. Or, yes, you do not play ball inside the house. That's how you break things. I've, I've broken far too many things playing ball inside. <laughs> you learned it from experience. Oh, yes. Uh, even as recently as last year. Um, anyway, so <laughs> she said, I said, yeah, outside, of course, outside. And then she said, at a baseball field? And I tried to quickly search my the catalog in my brain of where is a baseball field close by that we could get on. And there was, there is a, a field that was used for a semi-professional fast pitch softball league uh, 50, 60 years ago. And I said, yeah, yeah, outside baseball field. And then it was just quiet. And I figured that was kind of her way of saying, dad, you're crazy or whatever. And then she said, yeah, okay, I'll do it. And, and so we went and played and we took a selfie and I put it on a blog. And so that same day, that afternoon, I was folding laundry. I was watching some college football game folding laundry. My oldest daughter comes by and said, Dad, I'll play catch with you. All right. Let the laundry stay. And, and we stepped outside in our backyard. And uh, it was really, it warmed up to five degrees. And so when we, when we exhaled, our glasses fogged over which is a wonderfully safe way of playing catch and um, tried to take a selfie, the fog over glasses. So that night with the dinner table, we we're just family dinner, just having conversation about new years and things that make us laugh and highs and lows and normal family conversation. And to this day, neither one of them will take credit for it. But, uh, and, and so I give it, I put it on both of their shoulders. Um, they were like, dad, you should play catch every day for an entire year. Well, what would happen if you played catch every day for, it was posed to me as a question. What would happen if you played catch every day for an entire year? And I was just, I was like, oh, I started laughing. I was like, oh, this is absurd. I know what would happen. I would need surgery. This is exactly, this is such, and they just kind of kept needling me and pressing me and saying, well, but what about this? This is something you really like to do. Why wouldn't you? And because they said yes on January 1st, and because they gently and proddingly and lovingly encouraged me to do it, I ended up set diving in and, and seeing what would happen and had a blast. Uh, 10 states, 12,000 miles, 500 new catch playing friends. Wow. It was, it was, it was a, a, a quest, <laughs> a baseball quest. 
Wow, that's awesome. So if you played catch with 500 people, now you're playing sometimes multiple games of catch or catch with more than one person at a time, but you did it every day for a full year. Yeah. And you had some adventures along the way, I'm sure. Uh, yes, the whole year was yes. <laughs> I know as far as I've read you've you've had floods, you've had snow, you've had the 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 cold and the the fog glasses, the field of dreams. We've had uh from the coldest day I had a wind chill of 15 below zero Ooh. and that was that was tough. Uh it was fast. <laughs> yeah. uh, we had several days um where actually we did a small tour of the Midwest and for multiple days in a row, there were record highs set. Heat index is significantly above a hundred and, and this kind of stuff. And those were uh, blisteringly hot days. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I got caught in a, in a flash blizzard once I was playing catch and all just playing catch and all of a sudden it just opened up and started coming down and it was so weird. Uh, storms, of course, got soaked to the tail. Sleet and hail once each. So pretty much every every form of weather. Um, there were two instances during the year where there were tornadoes, but they always happened at midnight. So I, I was never outside while the sirens were going off. But still. <laughs> yeah. But pretty much everything else. But But your story is more than that. I, I love you. You have this phrase in your book. You call it tenacious adaptability. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, that was a um, a requirement. Just you didn't know. I didn't know what the day was going to hold, or or the the stories that the the person I was meeting would share. Mm-hmm. And there were times where not only was weather an obstacle that we had to overcome, uh, but partners had to cancel. And so they're like, Hey, can I reschedule or can we, I remember um, I had been trying to connect with Springfield's chief of police. He was a, he's a big baseball fan. He wanted to be involved in the project. And so we, would because of his calendar and his work, you have to schedule significantly in advance. And so we, we were two or three weeks ahead ahead of time, something along those lines. And he texts me like six o'clock in the morning. He says, "Uh, I have to cancel for today. Can you find someone else? I was like, sure, that's fine. He says there. I think if I remember right, it's either a double or triple homicide overnight, mm. and he was, and it was just this huge thing. And he's like, I have to be a policeman today. I was like, uh, yeah. I, I understand your work is much more important. This is this is okay, and um, they 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 caught the killer. They, I mean, I mean, it turned out to be a best for what was a horrible story, of course. It had a a good. It, I mean, a the, the justice was done. Yeah. And so we we met for a catch, you know, again a month later or whatever. And he, and he was just he was all smiles. He's still wearing all of his gear, all vest and everything. And it was a it was a warm day. And he said, "This is a uh, much better than what I had to do the last time we had to cancel." So. Oh, I'm sure. Wow. But you had a lot of, a lot, you know, you talk about the stories that because it's not just passing a ball back and forth, but there's another connection that takes place. And you share about that. Well, I think the what I have learned upon reflection about playing catch is it is a, it is a whole body experience. 
um, you're coordinating hands and eyes and feet and all this, but your your brain is actively, both sides of your brain is actively engaged in, in trying to make sure that that you are doing what you're, what you're wanting to do. And so because it is such a uh, intensely um, involved activity, I think that the gatekeepers that are in your brain that usually keep you quiet or hesitant or, or reserved are lowered. Mm. And so you're, you're focused on trying to catch a ball making sure no one gets hurt. And all of a sudden you're willing to share stories that you hadn't thought about for years. And, and it really provides an opportunity for a, a neat connection with someone. Uh, and I don't, I honestly believe that if I, if I just set out to do an interview every day and it was just talking with all these people, I would not ha- have had the stories told to me, shared with me. That was that, that I, I heard simply because we were playing while we were talking. Wow. That's so true. While, while you were saying that, I was thinking about my own sons that I, it was, it's always, always when we played, I mean, you could sit down to talk, but there's not a lot of talking when you do that. But when you're playing, we played video games a lot and just and board games and things like that. And, you know, when your nine-year-old gets up and presses pause and turns around with something that's going on with a friend at school and says, mom, what about that? And then like spills this big, long, deep <laughs> story. And you're like, wow, you know, these kids have got some serious stuff on their hearts and their minds and, and issues that they're dealing with. And, and, but playing, they were, they had the freedom. It just came, like you said, it just comes out. It just, it does. I love the gatekeeper comment. Yeah. And then there's that part of you that's like, hey, hey, wait, I was about to do something. Why did you hit pause? I can't believe you did that. And then you're like, wait, wait, hold on. There are more important things going on here. I remember there's one story I was listening to. Uh, one of my partners was sharing. He, he was a ball player at Drury University. And we were playing catch. And it was a really, really windy day, 30, 35. I, mean, I think we were under wind advisory or something like that. But because he had a really good arm, if if I knew my catch partner was comfortable with throwing hard and stretching out, I would I'd try and play long toss as much as I could just because it kept my arm healthier. It was it was good for my arm. And so we were spread out, oh, probably 120 feet or so distance. And he starts telling me the story, but because of the wind, I was having difficulty hear it. And 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 what happened was he was in Colorado uh, playing in a Summerwood Bat League. And had decided after practice some night that he wanted to go hiking in the mountains. And he had brought some stuff that he was going to go spend the night in the mountains before I think they had a game the next day or whatever. And he, oh, his story has actually been told in a couple of, of different magazines. And now, now I'm going to butcher it. Uh, I, I can't remember if he got lost in the mountains or he fell off kind of the side. Um, he, he woke up uh, the next morning. I think he had a crack in his skull. He had broken some stuff. Uh, and he was in a pretty precarious position. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, uh, there is a lady on the side of the mountain who greets him that he says she, to this day, he claims that she's an angel. And she walks with him and guides him to a house of a man who is a retired Navy uh, medical officer. 
oh, wow. who is able to, to take care. And so he's telling me this story. And as long as he tells me the story, the, the way that he tells the story, I keep getting closer and closer. And I said, all right, hold on. We're going to have to stop playing catch because I am too invested in this story. I need to hear what you're telling me. And so we took like a, a little break for him to, to tell it all. And I just remember as soon as he got done telling it, I was like, wow. That was incredible. He says, and that's my baseball. That's my, that's my, uh, I never, I didn't get to play anymore that, that season, but the, the angel took care of me and then we resumed playing catch. And and he was highly, he said, wow, you, you got a decent arm. It's not, it's not too bad throwing into the wind. I said, well, thank you. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the stories, and that's part of, you know, as I'm reading this book, you have such a variety of story. I mean, you talked to players from the real league of a league of our own, you know, like yeah. the real deal. Um, yeah. Players from other countries, from the Negro leagues, from from early days, and so you actually touch on some really deep subjects as you went along. Things I never would have guessed. Uh, I, one that, that always jumps to my mind is I had been invited to speak at a um, an honor sorority for, for teachers and they were doing an induction ceremony and they said, hey, can you just come do a storytelling, encouragement, uh, those kind of things. And I did not realize at the time that it was a formal event, like the people showing up were dressed really nice and it happened to take place at my alma mater, Missouri State University. And I played catch with the baseball coach early in the year, coach Keith Gutton, one of the winningest collegiate baseball coaches all time. And he gave me uh, a Jersey, just an old, um, old baseball Jersey. There's still a name and number on the back of a guy that played like two games. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm leaving that. I don't care what a statistic towards is a game used Jersey. And so I thought, well, Hey, this would be really cool. I'm going to wear a baseball Jersey to this event. I walk into it. And of course everyone was there. And I told the teacher, I said, here's the deal. I will agree to doing this, but beforehand, you're going to play catch with me. And she's like, fine, I have no problems doing with that. She's a, a literacy professor, uh, and, and we had c- connected through book writing and uh, worlds before. Well, the day of the, the event, it was pouring. Just oh. I, I, on the night, I mean, it was absolutely pouring. It was a cold rain. But we're in a lecture hall. And there was plenty of space in this lecture hall for us to stand at the front and just throw across the, the front of the room. And so we did it and we're talking about books and everything. And I don't even remember what the, what the, how I phrased it, but she revealed to me that she's native American. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, wait, what? And she started telling me one of her, it just, it still caught me off guard. I was like, I was so shocked and, and, and one of her dreams and one of her, her goals uh, is to pass on the, the spoken language. There's, there's only uh, 50 or 60 people who get alive now who still speak the, the language. And so, so she, she taught me a few words and I have to, I hate to confess it. I can remember how to say them when I see them written down, mm-hmm. but I can't do it off the top of my head. And it's just like, uh, hello and thank you. And instead of goodbye, it's something like see you later. But then hearing that, that, that she's Native American, how that impacts all of her decisions as a, as a professor, uh, as a mom, 
as a wife and, and this kind of stuff. And so these are the, the revelations that people shared with me while we're playing catch, you know, um, mm-hmm. from, from issues with immigration and problems with racism and, and just all these weighty issues in our culture. And, and there were several times I'd come home and my, my wife would be like, well, how was playing catch? Was it good and everything? I was like, and almost every time it's like, oh, great. Let me tell you about what I learned today. And then there were times of like, oh, it was a heavy one. And I just need a moment to process it. And there was so much of that that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was just amazing. Yeah, because you, you, know, you never know. So you are, you're playing catch. And then there's this a heaviness. But at the same time, like you, you always talk about this connection. When somebody says, I'm, I'm connecting with you now at a, at a whole different level. And I think even this year, a lot of us are, you know, here we are in 2020, and a lot of us are finally having conversations, maybe with friends that we've had for years about things that they have carried that we never thought to ask them about, or we never really knew because they carried it so quietly. Yeah. You know, there's just some really something to be said for, for connecting on that, that deeper, deeper level. Agreed. You know, you, you said, um, I was looking for the quote, and I don't think I broke it out here in my notes, but you talk about how it feels to make a resolution, like a New Year's resolution. And often there are things that like, I, you know, I'll, I'll, it's all about me. You know, it's I'm going to eat better. I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to write every day. I'm, and, and it's only me that has to do that. I just have to be consistent at that. But you talk about having a resolution now that, that you've made that, okay, I'm going to play catch every day for a year, yeah. but now you have to depend on other people in order for you it to be able to. requires the help of someone else to complete it. And I was like, man, what kind of idiot makes that kind of resolution where you, you have to have someone else. And so it is, it was always at the forefront of my mind, uh, the generosity and the willingness of others to share their time with me so I could live with this. And And when it came to, to writing the book, that was something I wanted to acknowledge and honor that, that everyone that said, yes, um, this doesn't happen apart from you. And so this, uh, the book was a a thank you to them. Uh, first and foremost, uh, I I literally wrote, uh, I wrote the book and, and sent it to, uh, to a couple of friends and, and they read it and they're like, Oh, this isn't, this isn't your best stuff. And the other one's like, I, I fell asleep and I really don't want to read anymore. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's not encouraging at all. And, um, completely deleted that. I don't, I don't have any records of it anywhere. Uh, that whole uh, manuscript and started over and over a course of about, uh, four or five weeks rewrote the, the skeleton, the bare bones of everything that, that is in its current form now and, and sent it. And, uh, one of the one of them responded that they were on a cross country flight at the time. Said, uh, "I I didn't get off the plane until I finished." I was like, "Oh, nah, okay, I think I found something." Uh, <laughs> and and uh, they were talking about uh, he, he was talking about how it um, he really did a good job of honoring those who had given of themselves so I could complete this uh, this silly <laughs> this this journey. <laughs> I, I love it. And just that you invited 
invited people to do things though that I think we all long for a little bit of play. Yeah. Like you're talking about the police officer and we don't do it. And you, and you've used the word silly to describe and I no, we need that. We need silly. We need we play. We do need silly. We live in a society that's play deprived and we don't realize it until we step back and look at it there as we get older as we become adults there's so much responsibility placed on us that play gets just pushed further and further down the the list and and we think of that well i'll do that in my free time well i'll do that when i retire well i'll do that eventually and what i learned through this year is i had to be very intentional about making time to play and I coordinated schedule with my schedules with my wife and my daughters. Okay. You're going to go here at this time to meet with this person for this amount of time before you, before you come back. And so it it was, I mean, my 2018 calendar, I still have, I kept just for, for, but it's a mess. I mean, there are notes everywhere about, about who's doing what and crosses out and reschedules and arrows and lines. I think, uh, I think a couple months I, this is funny, I saw a a piece of paper for my calendar. It's just, it's just a black and white month at a time calendar. And I draw, I use pencil and pen and all this kind of stuff. But I had to make time for play every day. Mm. And when we don't make the time to play, especially as adults, uh, we pay for it. I mean, play teaches us so many important things about perseverance. Uh, Play teaches us about community and connection, about overcoming difficulties. Play also uh, those those feelings of hope and and wonder and, and optimism come as a response of play. And and so when we don't make time to play, we we pay for it with attitudes and, and everything else that's so relationships true. it's huge it's huge and you know we hear a lot about self-care and i hear a lot about oh rest sleep rest meditation prayer but you really don't hear people say play and honestly if i sit down to try and rest my brain is still working <laughs> on work which i love my work but it's still you know, still doing work. It's, it's still trying to be, I'm putting air quotes on productive, Yeah. but play forces us to focus on the present. Exactly. And kind of, it's almost like you could almost say it's a form of meditation, you know, because it takes you, it, you you've got to take that attention off of whatever you were doing of the product productivity and the work, put it on something well, else. One of the ways, one of the ways that I define play is, is that it's that thing that you lose track of time doing. Mm. Um, and there were so many times that I, I did it. And, and, and so that helps you to, to discover or remember what play is for you. And, and, and there, there were um, several times where I'd tell somebody, all right, well, usually I would define a game of catch as 30 throws. Once we do 30 throws, you're free to go. And, and so, you know, the first couple of throws would be timid or, or whatever. And 30 throws, if you're in a hurry, like in negative 15 degrees or whatever, you can get 30 throws done in about a minute and a half. And you're fine and, and you're in and out of there. But if you start telling a story, 
you you so there, there were times um where somebody say oh i've got 10 i've got 10 minutes is, is 10 minutes okay 10 minutes is fine you got plenty of time and they'd look down and 30 minutes had passed 40 minutes had passed and we had literally lost track of time playing and i think there's an important reason for that one of one of the technical definitions for play is um how how's it phrased it's uh meaningful but not necessary play is a deeply meaningful encounter but not necessary and so I, I started thinking about that and and somehow that was on my brain or, or whatever and i was looking back at genesis at, at the beginning at the creation accounts mm-hmm. well no one forced god's hand to create god had no did not have to create anything at all but it, it was out of this deep abundance of joy and love that everything that we know came into creation and what we experience as deeply meaningful as our lives full of meaning were not initially necessary and so it it is my conviction with everything in me that god played creation into being and that play is woven into the fabric of our daily lives and so when we lose track of time playing we are kind of crossing over. We're just getting that smallest glimpse of what eternity really is. We are we're stepping into it. That's beautiful. Well, thanks. You know, we were, we were talking uh, before we started recording about the leaves changing color. Yeah. And think about in creation, things that God didn't have, have to do. <laughs> you, know, you know, these trees that may be the same color all year long, except for this burst in the fall where some are this bright, bright red and some are this bright, bright <laughs> yellow and, and just, and you know, that we'll drive like I'm, I'm later today, I'm going for a drive to go find beautiful trees on the side of a mountain just to look at them mm. because there's joy in that. Yeah. And, and that there's a feelings of, of, of wonder and awe that, that just uh, renew us in, in ways that little else can. So, so true. Hey, we mentioned earlier that you got to go to the Field of Dreams. Yes. <laughs> we want to make sure we get to hear about that. There's a, there's a reason that's a whole chapter in the book, because that was just such an incredible experience. It was a random invitation, a sports writer, a, a journalist. Bob Dyer of the Akron Beacon Journal in, in Ohio had a reader who heard about what I was doing and the reader, uh, Stan Sipka, uh, 80, 80 plus years old, didn't really know how to figure out how, how to contact me basically because the blog that I was sharing these stories on was so old. I didn't need, I didn't have a contact page and it was just, you know, I was figuring out my way as I was doing it. Well, uh-huh. He tracked me down and figured out a way to email me and sent me a message Said, so I have a reader that wants to play catch with you. Uh, are you are you interested? Absolutely. Sounds great. He, he mapped it out and said, it looks like, well, you know, it's interesting from where you live and where he lives. Field of Dreams is about halfway between you guys. You want to meet the Field of Dreams? It's like, sure, this sounds wonderful. Absolutely, I'm in. So he sends me these messages, and it's like, um, 
it's middle of January. And at this point, I mean, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I am just trying to find my way around. Uh, you know, who, who am I playing catch with tomorrow? That is literally what was on the forefront of my brain. And he says, well, I wanted to be there when the, when the corn stalks are full grown and we have sunlight that lasts for hours. So how about late July? Do you have anything scheduled for late July? It's like, <laughs> I've got nothing scheduled. I don't have anything scheduled for next week. And as soon as he said it, I said, yes, everything in essence, yeah. I'm in, we'll do this. Um, but at the same point, there's just this gnawing little, uh, just this knot in the back of my, I said, my arm's never going to last that long. Mm-hmm. It will never, it will never happen, whatever. And so a week before we're going to the field of dreams, he sends me this reminder. He said, I've got all my reservations made. Looking forward to seeing you there. And I was like, Oh, this is going to happen. I need to figure out, uh, all the details of what I'm doing and how it's yeah. going to come together. And I think I was over at my parents' house, or I think we were having dinner, probably watching a Royals game. Like, hey, hey, Dad, do you want to go to the Field of Dreams with me? He's like, uh, what do you mean? Well, I'm playing catch with a couple of guys up there next week and uh, trying to figure out the details. And, and uh, we stopped in Kansas City, got to see a Royals game on the way. Spent hours uh, at the Field of Dreams, met so many neat people. And uh, what I will tell you about the Field of Dreams is it's still in the middle of nowhere. Um, there, 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 you hear no traffic. Uh, it, it is the words that I like. It is a, it's a baseball sanctuary. It is peaceful. It is quiet. And the only sounds you hear, you hear uh, people hitting a ball. You hear people catching a ball. Then laughter of, of uh, and conversations of people connecting and mm-hmm. you know sometimes there are people sitting on the, on the benches and the bleachers just visiting strangers from all over uh connecting around the game of baseball and that's what we discovered while we were there uh, dad and i got there two hours before our um our time to, to connect with bob and stan and uh we're out there in center field playing catch and there's this lady she's walking her dog along the along the corn socks and all of a sudden she just stops and you know how you can tell when somebody's just staring at you (laughs) okay she's watching me what's going on do i know her what what is this deal and all of a sudden she just makes a beeline starts walking right towards us and i was like (laughs) okay this is really awkward i don't know what to do and dad and i are playing catch this whole time throwing a ball laughing talking and she gets about 20 30 feet away from she goes hey hey are you guys father and son? I'm like, uh, yeah, this, this is my dad. This is Doug. I'm Ethan. And she says, you're just the cutest thing ever. I just wanted to stop and take pictures of you all and let you know that I did. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Well, that's fine. Thanks for, thanks for that. But that's how the whole experience goes out there. I got to meet a, meet a family from Minnesota. The young boy just followed me around, borrowed one of my gloves and, um, it was, it was a really special uh, day, a special memory with my dad. That's awesome. And I think it, I think it does. I think there's so many levels of connection as yeah. you read this book. So thank you for writing it, Ethan. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm just glad that, that it, uh, yeah, you're welcome. And thank you for being here, for taking the time out of your day to talk to us. Oh, enjoy going to the mountains and seeing the leaves. That sounds like so much fun. Yeah, I will. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a great day. So that was my conversation with Ethan Bryan. 
about his book, A Year of Playing Catch, What a Simple Daily Experiment Taught Me About Life. It's a fun book. It's all about our stories and how my story overlaps with your story and another person's story and and how we really are connected and how play can connect us. And you know what I'd really like to do is hear your play stories. Is there a time in your life where you connect play with something else? Like a time of play is something pivotal for you. I'm going to share in the uh, Life and Mission podcast community on Facebook. I'll be sharing a short video about a time when my dad, playing catch, taught me a real life lesson that has stuck with me all these years. And I bet you have stories like that too. I hope you do. Share them. And the way you do that is you can just record a voice memo and send it to me at connect at lifeandmission.com. Just a little voice memo on your phone and, and send it in and we'll collect those and we'll share some stories about play. I'd love to do that kind of over the Christmas holiday and it would just be a really nice way to uh, get to know each other and share those times of connection and just spread a little joy because we all could use that. As always, the links and more information, show notes, are all at lifeandmission.com. Hey, find your voice, tell your story, change the world. Okay, here, there's one big truth about fundraising that people do not tell you when you start out. And that is, if you struggle to tell stories, you will struggle to raise funds. But what kinds of stories do you tell? How do you tell them? Where do you find them? How do you put them together? And how do you do all that while you're running your ministry, while you're doing all the work and all the things that you have to do? It does not have to be overwhelming. This is my good news. And also, I want you to hear this. Fundraising is not just about asking for money. Raising funds for your mission does not have to feel icky. Fundraising is really about relationships. It's about sharing stories with friends. And it's about being very clear about what it takes to accomplish great things together. I created the Mission Writers course to help you tell better stories, to know what stories to tell, when to tell them, how to tell them, where to find your stories. So go over to missionwriters.org. That's missionwriters, like you're writing. Missionwriters.org has all the details on the course and on the group coaching program. So you have two options. And if you love a missionary or a nonprofit leader who needs this course, gift certificates are available. So check it out at missionwriters.org and let's make 2024 your best year ever.